I was ruminating some time ago, as I'm apt to do, upon a question that was troubling me. And occasionally when something is gnawing at me, I will sit down at the computer and do a sort of free association brain dump. Doesn't usually take too long. And the question I was pondering was, what does it say about human nature that the primary way we seem to grow is through some form of pain, suffering, and disappointment? It seems to be true that the greatest periods of accelerated growth in our life come through either self-inflicted or circumstantial pain. I guess that's why C.S. Lewis called pain the megaphone of God. As we look back on our lives, most of us would probably say that the turning points or wake-up calls have come through life's bigger challenges. Malcolm Muggeridge, the great British satirist and editor of Punch magazine, later turned Christian, wrote this. Contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness. So my question is, what's wrong with us (laughs) that it takes some form of catastrophe to wake us up from our spiritual stupors? It tells us, as the scripture says, that we are hard-hearted and stiff-necked. Not a very nice description of us, is it? That God needs to take boulders and crash them through our life to crack open our hearts. So, is it true that we are relegated to sort of long plateaus where we just go on autopilot, interrupted by occasional times when some unwelcome disaster wakes us from that autopilot? Must this be the case? Must our growth in Christ always be looking backward through the rearview mirror? Can't we step forward into Christ-likeness? Can there be a, a hunger and thirst that Christ produces in us so that we desire to become leaning forward, to become all that Christ wants us to be? Some have concluded pessimistically, no, it basically takes pain and suffering to get us off the dime. The late missionary Ralph Ralph Winter said, obedience to the Great Commission has more consistently been poisoned by affluence, comfort, than anything else. Left to ourselves to tend the garden of our own lives, unless prompted by some external and internal pain, we tend to go to seed, is what they're saying. But should we be that cynical about ourselves? I'm not ready to buy thoroughly into the proposition that pain is our only teacher. And knowledge in the scripture strongly supports that God does some of his best work, certainly in the context of the missteps of our life. Yet I want to propose over the next number of weeks a positive agenda for growth in the Christian life. I want to assert that we can stay awake in eager longing to become alert to what God wants to grow us into becoming. So I allege that it's possible that each day we can start by saying, Lord, I want to simply be today a channel of your love and grace. Lord, today I want to be the best servant to my spouse that I can possibly be. Lord, today, as I start this day, I want to bring my kids under my parental care and be a model of a Christ-like life for them. 
Our vocation, our vocation is to reflect the life of Jesus in us. Mother Teresa said something to the effect, our job is not our vocation, our becoming like Christ is our vocation. People are confused. You see, our calling, our vocation, is to become reflectors of Jesus Christ in our life. If you were to ask the question, what's a Christian? A Christian is one simply who has the presence of the Spirit of God dwelling within them and reflecting his life through them. A little girl and her mother were having a conversation as they walked out of worship one Sunday. The mother asked her daughter how she liked church today. The girl replied, well, she thought it was good, but she was a little confused. The little girl said, the pastor said that God is bigger than we are. Is that true? The mother affirmed, yes, it was true. The girl said, well, he also said that God lives inside of us. Is that true? Yes, the mother said. Well, then, the little girl said, if God is bigger than us and he lives inside of us, then shouldn't some of him show through? So over the next four weeks, I want to say, I lay out a positive agenda of growth so that Christ is increasingly showing through. Yes, we will probably still have those boulders that come down upon us that crack open our hearts, but we, we can include them as a part of the process of growth that we have for us. So as you look on the screen this morning, I want to give you a picture of where we are going. Uh, today, we're going to look simply at a vision for growth. In order to, to grow, we have to have a compelling picture of what we want to become. The next Sunday morning, we're going to be looking at the conditions for growth. What's the good soil that creates a 30, 60, and 100-fold growth as, as Jesus talks about it? Then two weeks from today, we'll be looking at the location of growth. That Paul locates the transformation of us in our minds. Be transformed in the renewal of your mind, Paul says. So we'll look at the whole place that the mind has in our growth process. And then finally, at week four, we will examine an attitude of growth. This means adopting a training mentality, much like the athletes that are preparing for the Winter Olympics uh, next month in Vancouver, British Columbia. That training approach. But today, our focus is on vision. Vision is that compelling image or goal that creates the desire so that we are called to become all that we were intended to be in Christ. Now, I think we all understand this. Any of us who have selected a chosen profession and said, I want to become such and such, knows that there is a price of education to pay to get to where you want to go, and you were willing to pay that price because you had a vision for what you wanted to become. I'm going to use my own wife as an illustration this morning. As many of you may know, the last 16 years of her educational career was as an elementary school principal. But she didn't start out there. She started out teaching uh, in the early 70s in California uh, when she was a classroom teacher. And finances were difficult at that time, as they are now. And every year at the end of the school year, she would get her pink slip and not know whether she had a job come the next fall. And about two days before school would start, she would get the phone call saying, can you teach fifth grade at such and such a school? Can you teach third grade at such and such a school? Can you teach second grade at such and such a school? For a number of years then, she had a different grade level at a different school that she was teaching at. And what she had an opportunity to observe was the impact that a principal had on the tone and quality 
of that school's life. And she said to herself, I want to become one of those because I want to have an impact upon a school that I am leading. But to get there, she had to pay a price. She went to night school two nights a week, and then on Saturday, in addition to her teaching during the day, completing her coursework on top of completing all the work she needed to do to be a classroom teacher. But why did she do it? She had a vision for what she could become and the impact that her life could have upon a school. What's the vision of the Christian life that compels us forward? The question is, who or what do you want to become in this life? What kind of person do you want to be? We're all becoming something, intentionally or unintentionally. What's the legacy for which you want to be remembered? I don't know if you know the story of how the Nobel Peace Prize came to be, but it was through a very interesting turn of events. Nobel Prize is named after Alfred Nobel. His brother died at the turn of the 19th to the 20th century. And when he opened the newspaper the day or two after his brother died, he was shocked to see the obituary because it was not the obituary of his brother, but it was the obituary of him. They had gotten their stories confused. And he had a chance to read his own obituary. What he had become known for at that point was the, being the inventor of dynamite. And the entire article was about dynamite and destruction. And so he had an opportunity to say, is that what I want to be known for? And so he said, what's the opposite of destruction? Peace. I want to be known as one who promotes peace. And he set a different trajectory for his life. Jesus talked about the gospel being like a merchant who found a pearl that was incomparable and he sold everything in order to buy it. And that pearl was so great, but whatever you lost, this pearl was something to hold on to. That's a vision of what life is to be about. There's a quote on the front of your bulletin this morning by John Ortberg. John writes, no one can be a disciple of Jesus because they think they should. You have to, you have to actually want it. You have to actually want it. And what's that want to? What creates that desire in order to become a disciple of Jesus? Well, it's that compelling picture of what you can become. Jesus said tantalizingly, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. On another occasion, he was laying out the cost and the call to commitment But he concluded this way. He held out the carrot. He held out the benefits. He said, whoever would lose his life for my sake shall what? Find it. That's where life actually is. Losing your life unto mine. Now, there are many images this morning that we could take the time to look at biblically that would be a compelling picture of the future. Compelling picture of what we would want to live into. But let me just choose one this morning. Because the Apostle Paul lays out some delicious qualities of what God, through Christ, wants to grow in us. And let me introduce those delicious qualities through a story that I want to tell you. I've told this story before, but it's so worth hearing that you're going to want to hear it again. Becky Pippert, the author of Hope Has Its Reasons, tells the story of getting lost in Jerusalem, which led to a very insightful 
exchange with an Orthodox Hasidic Jew. Now, she'd gotten off at the wrong bus stop, landed in this Orthodox Hasidic Jewish neighborhood, and had no idea where she was or how to get to her apartment. And, of course, bewilderment came across her face, trying to figure out where to go. And then all of a sudden, behind her, she hears a voice. Can I help you? And when she turned to look, there was a man bearded with earlocks, dressed in a black coat. Knowing that Hasidic Jewish men are not allowed to speak with women in public, she also had another bewilderment on her face. And the man said, sometimes we are permitted to help people in distress. Where do you need to go? And they began to walk in the direction of Becky's apartment and started doing. He said, my name is Moshe. I'm a part of an ultra-Orthodox Hasidic Jewish community. And by the way, I was from Chicago originally. And Becky said, well, we have something in common. We're both religious. And Moshe asked Becky, well, are you Jewish? Becky replied, no, I'm a follower of Jesus. And Moshe said, well, I've never talked with a religious Christian before. There is much I would like to ask you, but it's so difficult. If anyone in my community saw me holding this conversation with you, it would be very awkward. I have to be so very careful. Yet when will I have this opportunity again? Becky answered, I would love to talk with you. I'd be honored if you would be a guest in my house. Well, Moshe hesitated. He glanced around to see who was looking and said, let's go quickly. And once they settled into Becky's apartment, Moshe began to pepper Becky with questions. And what he wanted to know was this. What happened to human nature as a result of being in relationship with God through Jesus Christ? And Becky explained that once you commit your life to Christ, Christ comes to live within you, and then the Holy Spirit begins to birth these transforming qualities within your life. And then he had a follow-up question that got to the core of the matter. He said, what's the essence of this new nature that you receive? And Becky listed the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And Moshe said, Wait, say those words again. And Becky repeated the fruit of the Spirit. And then he said, say them again. And then Moshe, with wonderment, responded, what beautiful, beautiful words. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Imagine it. All these qualities come into your heart as a result of being in relationship with God. Just think. To receive the very nature of God as a gift. No more beating down evil inclinations with negatives, but rather fighting evil with positives. With the very attributes of God himself. Ah, what a precious gift you have inherited, Becky. Do not take it lightly. Now, isn't that a compelling vision of what we can become? All these fruit of the Spirit. These are delicious qualities, delicious, succulent qualities that we would all want to have in our life. Let's take a look at that that verse. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what God produces in us. Now, note it says the fruit of the Spirit is. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit are. Why? Because It's singular because these are descriptors of the one Christ whose spirit comes to live within us. And Paul breaks out the qualities of who Jesus is. And this 
is what is to be born in us, these wonderful qualities of love, joy, peace, and patience as we release our life to him. I want to take a couple of minutes just to go through those qualities quickly and give you kind of a thumbnail definition so we hang these clusters of fruit uh, together uh, that will become forming in a part of our life. The first one is love. I call it unconquerable benevolence. The scripture chooses a word for love that was a rare word in those days. It's the word agape. It simply means that it's a love that originates in the heart of the beloved and the lover and is not dependent upon the response of the one receiving the love. Paul says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in while we were yet sinners. In while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was all about God's love, and this is the freest way to live if we're not deterred or determined by the response of the one we're giving the love to. The second characteristic here is joy. I call it basking in the Father's delight. We have joy because we see joy on the face of the Father because he takes pleasure over his children. Joy is not some giggling giddiness. (laughs) It's a sense of abiding well-being. I love the hymn that has the title, Through the love of God our Savior, all will be well. That's biblical joy. Third characteristic is peace. I entitle that serenity from security. We have peace with God because of what Christ has done for us. He has absorbed the guilt of our sin, and now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We have peace that God has purchased for us in a relationship with him. R.C. Sproul has written, When God signs a peace treaty, it is signed in perpetuity. Patience. Literally, this word is long-suffering. I think of the father of the prodigal who waited in suffering and open-hearted rejection for his son to return. Scripture says we are called to be slow to speak and slow to anger. And there's a reason why those two are together. Patience. Fifth characteristic here is kindness. I call this firm but gentle. You know, we live in a in-your-face, belligerent, intimidating, boisterous society. And we are called not to add to that. A soft answer turns away wrath, the proverb says. Sixth characteristic is goodness. I simply entitle this magnanimity of spirit. We live in a world of bruises, slights, and hurts. To get through this life, we need a big heart, a generosity of spirit that allows us to survive with grace. I call this quality the grease that reduces the friction of life. Seventh characteristic is faithfulness. We keep our promises. God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. Lewis Smeage said, We are most like God when we keep our promises. Integrity. Your word and your actions are connected, integrated with one another. Gentleness. Power under control. Could translate this word meek, which rhymes with weak. That sounds like geek. But that couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Literally, the image here is of a 
powerful stallion that has been brought under control and responds to the bit from the hand of the master. Power under deliberate control. And then finally, self-control. Discipline to direct our energies wisely. Self-control means, means not allowing our passions to run wild, but harnessing them in the direction that God would have them go. It's as if we are orchestra conductors and that our powerful players down in the pit of our lives, passions, desires, emotions, sexual urges, and the Holy Spirit converts that energy into godly uses that will bring about harmony uh, in our life. So that's the picture. That's the vision. These wonderful qualities, these clusters of fruit that God wants to birth in our lives. How was it that Moshe summarized his impressions of these clusters of succulent fruit? Ah, what a precious gift you have inherited, Becky. Do not take it lightly. Who would not want to have these as your part of your life? Would you sign up for those qualities? Would you like to see those things coming through you and reflecting through your life? Whatever we compare our lives to, I want that to be the goal of my existence and vision of what I want to become. The interesting thing is, the more we lease ourselves to Christ, the more our true selves we become. At the end of C.S. Lewis's classic book, Mere Christianity, he deals with a, an objection. He says, the objector says, well, if we release ourselves more to Christ, won't all of us then kind of turn out to be looking the same? <laughs> that we will all be just like one another, just cookie-cutter versions of each other. And Lewis responds by saying, no, just the opposite is the case. And he uses an image to help explain this. He said, uh, imagine that there were people who had never tasted salt. And you take a pinch of salt and you put it on your tongue and you say, ooh, that's strong. And then you say to people, you know what? We take salt and we put it on our food. And they might think, well, isn't everything then going to taste like salt? And won't that be the dominating flavor? But in fact, the opposite is the case, isn't it? When we put a spice like salt on our food, it brings out the inherent flavor, the uniqueness of that particular food. And that's what happens when we relinquish our, ourselves to Christ. This is the way Lewis puts it. The more we get what we now call ourselves out of the way and let him take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. In that sense, our real selves are all waiting for us in him. It's no good trying to be myself without him. It's when I turn to Christ, when I give myself to his personality, that I first begin to have a real personality of my own. So if you want to find your true self, if you want the fruit of the Spirit to grow out of your life, if you want these delicious qualities to mark your person and be what you're known for, then this vision of the Christian life is for you. Whatever good life the world dangles before us cannot be compared to this one that we are offered. So this morning, I invite you to the table where we get to commune with the one who presides here and lives in us. And as you ponder the meaning of this moment, ask the Lord today and tomorrow and all your future tomorrows to make it your vocation, to simply reflect him more and more.
Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you will release your presence within us, that we can become all that you intend us to be. And as we commune with you now, release us more and more to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.